Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-32. I remember one day I said, God, I am so thankful for the way you have blessed me, and I want to thank you, but I realize I don't even know you. And today, the words of Yeshua saying, if you love me, guard my commandments. Today, it seems like such an obvious thing. That is how he wants to be loved back. Hello there. This is Avi Ben Mordechai with another ongoing podcast of Real Israel Talk Radio. Today, we're going to begin with a series of programs that will address the issue of the biblical kosher laws. Is everything that we eat food according to the definition of the Bible? Well, according to the biblical teachings and narratives of Scripture, biblical kosher eating is not a Jewish thing. It's a Yeshua thing. This is part one of a multi-part program series that we've titled, Why I Exchanged Salami for Pastrami. Chatting with me on this subject is my wife, Suzanne. Hi, Avi. Hi, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to be here again. So, I am going to assume that most people do not know that salami is traditionally a pork product. Maybe they don't all know what pastrami is. Pastrami is salted beef and something that I have happily been able to fry in a pan and use in salads and pizzas and very successfully exchanged. Well, well, you know that, you know, in New York they have the Reuben sandwich. Well, I'm sure the Americans probably don't need to use pastrami because they've got turkey bacon and beef bacon and all kinds of kosher options. Mm -hmm. Here in Australia, we're very limited um, in terms of any pork replacement. Mm -hmm. Very hard to -hmm. find something here. You gave me uh, some notes as you were going through them. And you say here that you first, you want to honor God and every person that has ever spoken into your life, the good and the bad. That's an interesting comment. Uh, Do you want to say anything about that at all? Yeah, well, I suppose I am a product of the Spirit of God working in me, but also a product of my experiences, the choices I've made. And I have listened to so many amazing teachers over the years, and I have learned from so many people, but I've also learned from people that made bad choices, even, I would say, bad teachings on subjects, Mm. that it made me aware, it made me think of things that I hadn't thought before. So it Mm. challenged me, hearing certain things and feeling wrong in my spirit about it. That's been a big part of my journey too. So really, it all comes down to our choices to say, okay, I'm going to do this or that based on... uh, the teachings of the Torah, the law of Moses, the very same teachings that I believe Yeshua also taught and supported 100%. Yeah, I didn't always believe that. I come from a Protestant church background, mm-hmm. grew up with traditional Christianity. By the time I was married in my, I would say, late 20s, early 30s, mm-hmm. I had to young boys, and I was so very, very happy with my life, Mm -hmm. uh, with my marriage, with my kids, with my home, 
we were so blessed. And that brought me to a point in my life, I suppose, where all the years of just traditional Christianity, not really doing much other than going to church on a Sunday, I came to a point where I realized I was very blessed and I realized I didn't deserve it. It humbled my heart tremendously. And I remember one day I was alone in my bedroom and I just started praying. I said, God, I am so thankful for the way you have blessed me. And I want to thank you, but I realize I don't even know you. Hmm. How do I thank you if I don't know you? What do you like? How do I thank you back? How do I respond and tell you that I appreciate this? How do I do that? I don't even know you. Hmm. And that started a journey when we wholeheartedly have a desire before God. He will honor that. So that started a very challenging journey for me. And today, the words of Yeshua saying, if you love me, guard my commandments. Today, it seems like such an obvious thing. That is how he wants to be loved back. But back then, when I was uh, asking this question, that thought never came into my head. I come from a church tradition background where the law is done away with, as I understood it. Mm -hmm. Some commandments are said to be from the New Testament. They are valid, so you don't steal and you don't murder because we read about it in the New Testament. But all the rest, it's done away with, and it's now a spiritual law of Christ, which never really, I wasn't ever sure what that really meant. Mm. It's very much up in the air, some gooey, fuzzy feeling inside, or either you have to hear the Spirit so clearly in everything you do and choose. So for me, that was always a bit a bit hard to figure out. If you love me, I obey my commandments. That never popped into my head. But after I asked this question, there was a series of events, um, a beautiful teaching that I heard on that ancient Hebrew wedding festival that touched my heart very deeply. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that's such a beautiful picture of our salvation. And I thought, if there's more of that, I want to know that because it just explained things so much more. So I started on a journey trying to find just more cultural things of the ancient Hebrew ways. And in this process, I um, came across a book called Torah Rediscovered. So here, this book, Torah Rediscovered, um, found its way into my life. I read it, Mm -hmm. and I was deeply disturbed because this author seemed to imply that the Torah is still valid and for us to do in every situation that we are able to -hmm. do the Torah. And everything in me um, just vehemently disagreed with this author. And a part of me thought... I had so many scriptural proofs of why this guy's wrong. And one of the verses that popped into my head was, Who has bewitched you, foolish Galatians? I had such a sense of fear, actually, that I was going to fall from grace the moment I started obeying these laws. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe this book came across my path so that I could contact this author and just help him back. He's fallen from grace and just give him some tips on the beautiful grace that we don't have to get our salvation by obeying the law anymore. Mm -hmm. So I started reading the book for the second time. The thing that this author really brought out Mm -hmm. was when the Torah scroll 
was rediscovered mm -hmm. in the reign of King Josiah. Mm -hmm. And the moment the priests brought this dust-filled Torah scroll to him and he read it, he realized why Israel was in the state that it was, because they had fallen away from God's commandments. Mm. And that they dusted it off and started overthrowing the idols and getting Israel back on track. And this author was implying that we're living in an age where the Torah, the same as in King Josiah's time, the Torah is being rediscovered. The Holy Spirit is getting it out from under the dust where it's been hidden for years, and it's being rediscovered in the same way, prophetically, in our lifetime. But to me, that was heresy. We've been freed from the law. We don't have to jump through all those hoops for our salvation like they used to back then. And so I, I, can, I can see where Paul would be writing from Galatians 3.1, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Yeshua HaMashiach was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? And then verse 2, uh, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit or ruach by the works of the law? or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish? Verse 3, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect or complete by or in the flesh? Those are the first three verses of Galatians chapter 3. And those words, um, I guess you read them and uh, you were kind of moved by that. Uh, tell us a little bit more. Well, according to my understanding back then, works of the law meant obeying God's commandments. Mm. I know saying it now, I'm horrified. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm totally horrified. Yeah. But that's how I truly understood it. I had been so convinced by so many scriptures um, that I'm starting with faith and now I want to continue my race in obedience. Obedience is not how you do it. Um, faith is the way. And obedience to the Torah or to the laws will bring you back into bondage. Mm -hmm. And we've been freed from that. That's what, that's what you thought. That is what I thought, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And at that stage, I had this struggle inside where I had this very clear draw towards what this guy was writing in his book. And something in there couldn't let go of me. Hmm. But yet I had all my traditions and all my beliefs that I thought had scriptural backup. And those two were causing conflict within me. And I remember I often prayed against the enemy deceiving me because of the fear I was walking in that I had more faith in the enemy deceiving me than I had in God leading me into all truth. Hmm. And that I had to trust him to lead me into a truth on a path that I hadn't gone before. Mm. And my next question to him was, but where are all the other sheep? If this journey is right, where are all the other sheep? I don't see anyone on this journey. And um, in South Africa, this was in the early 2000s. And no one around me was on the Torah journey at all. 
um, it was either traditional Christianity or African ancestor religions. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me that I should follow the shepherd and not the sheep and learn to hear his voice. And in a way, I suppose it was a bit like when Abraham was called to leave his traditions of his home behind mm. and follow God, follow the word of God on a journey that he hadn't been before. And that was the first time I realized that it's God doing the same to me. And it was very scary, honestly very scary. And But I couldn't walk away anymore. I had a conviction that I had to move forward and trust him to lead me into all truth. Once I changed my view on this Torah is done away with concept or the way that only some of them remain and the rest are done away with, once I changed my view on that, I'm on a different journey than anyone I know of. And even searching the internet, there wasn't at that stage a lot available on the internet that I could find. Mm -hmm. So today I think... Um, it have, would have been quite a bit easier. There's so much wonderful information out there. But back then, I couldn't find enough that really guided me. So I kept struggling for months. And I remember at one stage, I felt quite exhausted because I knew this was a serious decision that I was going to make. And at one stage, exhaustedly, I prayed. I said, God, I still don't understand. I'm so confused and I'm exhausted. So just show me that this is you wanting me to do this Torah, guard your Torah package. Just show me it's you and I'll do it, even if I don't understand. But I can't struggle like this anymore. But I just need to know I'm not being deceived and that it's you. And that night I went to bed and I had a dream where I so clearly knew that God was showing me that it's Him, Mm. that I woke up And I knew, that's it. And that Friday night, my late husband and I, we did Shabbat in our home for the first time. We didn't know what we were doing. We had no one to follow. All we had was our Bible. And we read every scripture where the word Shabbat was used, or Sabbath, and made a few notes. And we just started our own version of what we thought the Bible was guiding us into. And that night, I had another dream where I had given birth to a baby girl. And interesting enough, I had over the years before um, dreamt so many times that I was pregnant over and over and over again. And sometimes people would come up to me and say, they feel God's showing them to tell me that I'm going to have a baby girl. And I thought they were crazy. That cannot be natural Hmm. because I had been sterilized. So I knew that wasn't actually a baby girl, and I didn't know what it meant. But this was going on for years, literally years. And this baby was just never born. And after that first night we did Shabbat, I dreamt that I had a a baby girl in my arms. And I awoke wondering what this all meant. And I was reminded of the book of Hosea, where Hosea, um, his wife, gave birth to three children, each of them representing a different spiritual stage Mm -hmm. that Israel was going to be in. And I knew a child represents that. So I knew God was showing me. I understood then that He was showing me it's a new spiritual journey for me. And that gave me so much peace 
to be on this journey. And so that's the day I decided the Torah is valid. And my understanding slowly came after that mm-hmm. over time to the point where it's still obviously growing, but my understanding that I have now was not what I based my decision on. It was just to follow him even if I didn't understand. Oh, and I have to add, interesting, after I had mm-hmm. this dream about the baby being mm-hmm. born, mm-hmm. I um, started thinking back when my journey started. And mm-hmm. it was nine months, a full pregnancy term <laughs> <laughs> that I'd been struggling. Ah, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. quite interesting. So I'd been struggling nine months mm-hmm. before I made my decision and then that dream. Okay, so your husband uh, was happy with it. Uh, your husband has uh, since passed away in uh, February of 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you had your kids. You had your two teen uh, boys. Yeah. And were you all sort of beginning to do this whole journey while you're doing this whole thing? or I had the privilege of being at home and having my nose in the Bible and, mm-hmm. St- mm-hmm. and searching this out while mm-hmm. my husband was working very hard to provide for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would share everything with him, my struggle. And I would always tell him, please don't eat everything that I bring home from my spiritual studies, Mm -hmm. because it didn't work too well when Adam ate what Eve brought home. Mm -hmm. So I would always ask him, please, if you think I'm off track, tell me. I'm trusting you to guard me in this, even though he didn't have the time, as much time as I had. I trusted his spiritual Mm -hmm. discernment. And even though I was struggling more than he was with all of this, he was saying, I think you're on the right track. Keep going. I think you're on the right track. And when I finally um, shared the dream that made me convinced it was God behind all of this, he was 100% in and he said he never felt as anchored before in his faith as he did in on this journey so yes we were all the the kids were still young Mm -hmm. so they were on this journey because their parents were and today it's a journey that they have to decide for themselves they Mm -hmm. too have to leave and follow god and learn to follow the shepherd i would like to take this into that uh just that part of the story which I, i find very fascinating actually what you're saying that uh you read through the book the first time and then you're you're kind of steaming inside, and you're saying, "No, no, no, they, no! He's totally off. He's totally off track." I so, felt very offended because, in my view, he was denying mm-hmm. the cross. He was denying the sacrifice mm-hmm. that Jesus made mm-hmm. so that we could be free from the law, mm-hmm. and he was trampling on that sacrifice. So mm-hmm. I was deeply offended, and I thought mm-hmm. I had to go and protect God from this offense <laughs> <laughs> to help this guy straight, <laughs> or the guy, not the guy that wrote the book, as mm-hmm. much as the guy that sold me the book. Uh It was a South African guy. So you were going to set him straight? Oh, yes. But I realized I just, I I had to do more than go with some kind of emotional reaction. I had to give the guy some scriptural backup. I have to have some intellectual arguments, right? Mm -hmm. So the second time I read the book, it was with the idea of making notes and not just having this emotional reaction to it, Mm -hmm. but making notes and then giving him a clear layout of my argument, why I think he's so off track. Mm-hmm. But when I read it the second time and I didn't have this emotional reaction, for the first time I heard what he said. And I thought, oh my goodness, he's making such valid points. And he has scriptural backup too. So we can't both be right. 
And, and all your friends, they thought you were off the rails? No. Actually, my close friends didn't understand what I was going through and what I was struggling with. But they knew me well enough to know that I wasn't going to jump into something that I hadn't looked at very seriously. Mm-hmm. So they trusted my journey, although they didn't understand my journey. So okay. no, they didn't really think I was nuts. They just didn't have the personal conviction to be on the same journey. But they knew, they knew I hadn't fallen away from grace and that I hadn't fallen away from the central part of what the cross meant in my life, Yeshua's death and resurrection. But my family was concerned, and I can understand why. I was concerned <laughs> with the journey yeah. I was on. Well, you're thinking, I've, 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 you know, I've gone through my whole life in this one particular way of understanding things, and now all of a sudden, oi, oi, now I have to switch and do something different. This is like, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, and honestly, was I implying that mm-hmm. all the people that had went to theology school and all the tradition of the pastors in South Africa, was I implying that they were all wrong mm-hmm. and that I knew better? Does That did sound a bit arrogant to me. So I was, it was a very challenging journey for me. Mm-hmm. But eventually I was happy when God showed me it was Him that was enough for me. I want to take this back then to what you were stating earlier that you had Read Galatians 3.1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Yeshua HaMashiach was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. And uh, in, uh, the, uh, uh, in the Greek uh, text of uh, the New Testament, uh, this word bewitched is kind of who has led you astray, who has deceived you, who has deceived you, misled you. Uh, and yeah, it, was, uh, it, was, it was horrid for you to... It was, it was. Mm-hmm. And Avi, I must say, before I met you in person all those years ago, mm-hmm. your book on Galatians, mm-hmm. so you are actually one of the People I came across on the internet <laughs> in my search I'm, for. I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if I should take that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think you can. Mm-hmm. So I came across your website mm-hmm. back then and your book on Galatians, which I then ordered as a MP3. Mm-hmm. You sent me a CD. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, that opened my eyes to... A whole new interpretation of the book of Galatians. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like the evidence that you portrayed in that book was adding its weight to the fact that the Torah rediscovered guy was actually quite on track. (laughs) Okay, and so in the course of this uh, journey that you're taking here, um, again, you were were reading all of this material and... uh, you just, uh, you know, you were you were battling. You were saying, okay, I'm not sure, yada, 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 you're, you know. And you didn't want to be bewitched. You did not want to make the mistake of falling from grace. You were asking, where is everybody else who believes this? Because in South Africa at the time, it was just not that big of a movement as it was in America. Certainly in America, the movement was growing very fast, but not in South Africa, it was not. Yeah, I suppose not in my area. Um, I would like to take a break. 
and uh, then we're going to come back and uh, let's continue on with this uh, story. Let's find out a little bit more about where this uh, where this idea took you, this new spiritual journey. Okay, would you mind staying with us here for a little bit here? Not at all. Okay, hang on here. This is Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. We're here to explore and discover insights into the ancient biblical, Jewish, and Hebraic ways of understanding and interpreting the Bible's lessons and narratives. If you wish to stay up to date with coming home news and information, simply register your email address with us on our website, cominghome.co.il. Again, cominghome.co.il. We'll continue after the break chatting with my wife, Suzanne, on the subject, Why I Exchanged Salami for Pastrami. listening to Avi Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-32. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. I want to come back and continue where we left off, chatting with my wife, Suzanne, on the subject, Why I Exchanged Salami for Pastrami. Today in South Africa, the mm-hmm. Torah observant believers, there's quite a growing number of them. Mm-hmm. But back mm-hmm. then, I didn't know anyone. And you were saying to, uh, to your Father in Heaven, your Creator, I want to love you. Um, how do I show my love to you? Uh, what, what can I do to show you that I really appreciate and value what you've done for me? My question was born out of a real sense of how much he loved me, which definitely is the start. There is no love response before you haven't received his love and his blessing. So for me, the sense of having received it undeservedly stirred in me a desire to thank him and to respond back. And I know even on my traditional Christian walk, there has been many years, it took many years on that walk for me to truly receive some kind of revelation of his love for me. I've met many people in my life who have had a spiritual journey for many, many years, but have still struggled to receive God's love. So I suppose it started with a real sense of being undeservedly loved from on high. And so for you, the mandate was follow the shepherd and learn to hear his voice. I had more faith in the enemy deceiving me than Mm -hmm. I had faith in him leading me in all truth. So I had to learn to trust him that he would guard me and keep me and guide me in all truth. And I am not someone who moves quickly on things. I take my time, I research through it, I pray through it, and But once I have a conviction and I move on something or I change, then I'm mm. quite solid on it. Some people are early adopters. I'm, a, I'm not an early adopter. You've read the story of Yaakov Jacob in the Genesis uh, story of him, his life, his family. And I recall back in the narrative that uh, talks about Jacob wrestling all night long with this messenger 
you kind of went through the same thing, saying things like, okay, I may not understand what this is all about, but if it's true, show me and I'll do it. That was sort of your attitude. I just got myself tied in knots because I had scriptures proving one side and scriptures proving the other side. And eventually I realized that if I'm going to trust my understanding, mm-hmm. I'm going to be stuck. Mm-hmm. I have to trust him. Mm-hmm. And for that, I needed to know clearly that it was him. And if I knew it was him, I didn't have to lean on my understanding. I can lean on him and and the fact that his word is truth. And that would be enough for me. I still want understanding, but that I wasn't going to make my decision on my understanding. And I that was because I was exhausted of the struggle. And I didn't want to get stuck in struggling mm-hmm. for much longer. Mm-hmm. So out of desperation, I suppose, I said, just show me it's you and that'll be enough for me. You were much like Avraham, where the Almighty came to him and said, it's time now to leave your father's house and to strike out into a direction that I want you to go. And you were being challenged to leave your father's house in a very real way. Yes, the traditions that I had grown up in. Because mm-hmm. what I was feeling that I was being led to was very different from the traditions that I had grew up in. So talk to me about your current worldview. So my current worldview only came much later as I am understanding things more. I look at the world, the Judeo-Christian world around us, but I see a lot of things that are quite horrifying to me and uh, things that have departed to such a large extent, even from the tradition that I grew up in. Uh, Here in Australia, marriage has been redefined, that it can be between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. Mm -hmm. We have abortion, even late term in some states. Um, God, prayer is not allowed in many institutions like schools or prisons or hospitals, Mm -hmm. unless under very specific rules. I didn't grow up like that in South Africa. Mm -hmm. You could go to the hospital and pray for the sick if you wanted to. Marriage still had a biblical perspective. So all these things, they've changed in a relatively short time. And I think, how did all of this happen? I suppose if I look at the gospel package as a sweater, we're clothed in Messiah, a knitted sweater. At some point, someone started unraveling that sweater and pulling at that yarn and undoing this knitted sweater. And if we had to reverse time, how far do we have to reverse back to think we're comfortable that the sweater is intact? And as I currently understand it, we have to go back all the way to early Christianity where the law was done away with, Mm -hmm. which started around the time of Constantine and has been with us ever since. Our Bible says if you break one of these commandments, you break them all Mm. because you're breaking the covenant that's presented by all these individual connections to life. The integrity of the package that we've received as the good news, that integrity has been compromised. And initially, when you pull that first little stitch of that sweater, it seems very harmless. Mm. And no one uh, responds to that. It seems quite innocent. But little did we realize the impact when you start unraveling with the things that people don't feel that serious about. But once you start unraveling, it's it's just a slow progress and the ripple goes through to the point where we have it today. And if we go even further back, mm-hmm. um, the same thing happened in the days of Israel, Judah, 
the descendants of Noah. And if we go further and further back, I suppose that first unraveling of that first stitch happened in the Garden of Eden when um, Adam and Eve ate from the tree that they were commanded not to eat. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting if, if we're saying our topic here today is kosher eating, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking how I would say God doesn't care about what we eat. How petty can he be? Mm-hmm. Yet this whole unraveling started with a bite. It started with an incorrect food choice. The creation starts with food. Yeah, it started with food and it's going to end with food. And in the middle, it's about food. And that was quite a stark realization for me to saying God does indeed care about our food choices. I shared some of this in a little group here in our area. And what I thought on my heart to share, if we're saying it started with a food choice, um, I had on my heart to discuss choice and why that's important and then discuss food and how we define food in the world and how God defines food and then how all of this links together in a larger spiritual sense rather than just a natural health message that I believe today there's a very distinct higher spiritual meaning related to this concept of a food choice. I've heard from a lot of people over the years that say, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter what you eat. It uh, doesn't matter what you're putting in your body. Yeah, so what? You know, listen, we're beyond all that. And besides that, uh, people have used the argument, well, look, I mean, you know, back in Bible days, they didn't have refrigerators. What, what would you say about all that? Yeah, that was one of my my kind of thinking patterns back then as well. Mm-hmm. Back then, God was keeping them safe and healthy by giving them these laws. And today, as you say, we have refrigeration and modern medicine. So it's not relevant to us today. I heard someone give the example of laws relating to sexual intercourse or gave laws about sexual intercourse to Israel back then because he wanted to protect them from sexual transmitted diseases. But today we have condoms and medicine. Mm -hmm. So today we can do free love because we don't have the health risk anymore. Mm. That's not true. We can't imply because we can now keep ourselves safe from STDs that God doesn't really care about who you sleep with. Uh, He still does. And there's a much higher spiritual uh, meaning behind all of these commandments as well. You can go on the internet and find all kinds of things about health reasons for eating clean meat and staying away from unclean meat. Personally, that's not been my main reason or my main motivation. I'm not saying that the health reasons are not valid. For me, there's a much higher spiritual reason. And our earthly health just will be a earthly representation of it. But there's, for me, something much deeper and much more important behind all of this. So now with all that being said, uh, this is going to lead us into uh, a subject that I think we need to do. Uh, we need to tackle it, and uh, the subject is on uh, Bahar. It's choice. Even up to this day, when I meet people that come from church traditions similar to my own, and they have come to understand the beauty of His commandments and how relevant it is to our walk today, mm-hmm. one of my first questions I ask them is, how on earth did you come to this understanding? Because to me, it is a miracle that what I had seen as bondage before, 
I now see, as David did and wrote about in Psalm 119, as beautiful and wonderful. And please don't take it away from me. Your words are truth. And it is a miracle, as much as it is a miracle to me that I, by grace through faith, I was saved. It is as much a miracle to me that God changed the way that I thought about His commandments and His Torah. And I love hearing how other people came to the same journey. And everyone has their beautiful story about how it happened. Mm. And some people just grasp it immediately and they make a switch. I struggled nine months, a Mm. pregnancy term. Mm -hmm. For me, I took longer and I needed to have more proofs and definitely I needed to hear from God. Mm. Um, But it is to me astonishing to hear other people's stories. With that, I want to then take this uh, discussion, this chat, into the Hebrew word choice. Are you ready for the for the challenge here? Yes, let's go. Okay. The Hebrew word Beit Chet Resh. Beit Chet Resh. It can be pronounced as Bachar. It's uh, simply uh, a word that refers to examining something, to choose something, to make a choice, even the concept of uh, to test something or to prefer something, to be joined to something is also Bachar, that's in Kohelet or Ecclesiastes 9.4. You know, it's it's an idea that uh, shows somebody to test and to choose, to examine, to prefer, to really look at something for the purpose of uh, behavior or concern, things like that. Th- th- this is the general idea. Yeah, for me, that were, what was interesting about the word Bahar, it's also linked to an ancient Bedouin word, Bahara, which means he looked around. So mm-hmm. the looking around concept, uh, the word Bahan, a watchtower, mm-hmm. is linked to the same root, because mm-hmm. what do you do on a watchtower? You look around. Mm-hmm. Um, this looking idea I found very interesting, because if you make a choice. If a young man wants to marry a woman, he looks around, Mm -hmm. he makes his choice for a bride, and then hopefully he stops looking around because he's found what he was looking for. Once he is not happy with his choice, he will start looking around again. And that looking around idea, I thought was very interesting as how it relates to what happened in the Garden of Eden with that first food bite Mm -hmm. and even the first three mentions of Bahar in the Bible are very interesting to me. As you said, Suzanne, you know, uh, the creation story in Genesis chapter 3 begins with the choice of food. Yes, it does indeed. And in the book of Revelation chapter 22, the end of the story ends with the choice of food. It does indeed. And in the middle, we still have the choice of food. And as we've discussed, the moment we start looking around for other choices that God has not permitted us, we're opening ourselves up for a different word mm-hmm. um, to be planted in the soil of our hearts. And then we are producing the fruit from a different tree. So, two trees 
each with their own word or logos or memora, whatever you want to call it, okay? Two trees with two different aspects of the word. One is the word of truth. The other is the word of a lie. Or a mixture of, of truth and lie. Interesting. No one gives 100% poison to that rat that you want to kill that's stealing your food from your pantry, right? You mix 99 point whatever percent good food and you mix it in with a bit of poison. And that's the same the serpent did. He mixes it's called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Right. This is the Etzhadatovilra, the tree of the knowledge involving experiential knowledge of good and evil. And uh, as you say, if you want to kill a rat in your home, you... Uh, you, you, you use mostly good food and a bit of poison. Yeah, no, the rat won't go for pure poison. You have to mix the two. And it's the same with... With all of us, the enemy comes with a mixture. Most people are not going to be drawn to pure 100% poison. They're just not. I mean, not if they're not if they're in their right mind. I don't think they're going to. No, I don't think so. It's it's not quite as tempting unless you intend to kill yourself, right? Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it's not quite as tempting. It's the the subtlety is with mixing it in with good food. So the subtleties of uh, the garden story is that it's the tree of the knowledge of good mixed with evil we can call it the tree of the mixture which yeah. would work well yeah and i i personally think genetically modified seeds today represent that pretty accurately on mm -hmm. on earth as it is in heaven mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's what we have today and ultimately uh, whichever tree they ate from would reveal which word they believed, trust, obey, follow. Mm -hmm. So which word do you eat from? That's what it boils down to. Our choice is between two trees. Our choice is between life or death. And all the other trees that we were commanded to freely eat from, they were not other choices. They were varieties within the choice of life. And today as well, we have variety within the choice of life, and there's variety within the choice of death. You know, if we're not careful about this variety issue, we can get ourselves into some trouble. Yeah, and realizing that all these different varieties represent two choices. Not three choices or ten choices, two choices, mm -hmm. life or death, mm -hmm. one of those two trees. I, I'm thinking of Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 19, where it says, I put before you today life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life mm. that you and your descendants or your seed may live. The concept is to choose life. I don't always choose life. You know I don't. You're married to me. We don't always choose life. And many of our listeners probably can relate to that real well. It's like I see with Pharaoh, right? When he let Egypt go, he didn't really make a different choice. And we see God strengthening his heart. Because what do we read in the Bible? Where do we make choice? It's from our hearts that we make choices. And Pharaoh, when he weakened in his decision, it seemed like he was changing his choice. But he wasn't really. Because then God came in and he strengthened his heart 
and then immediately, the moment he was strengthened, he was back to his first resolve and saying, I'm not letting them go. So yes, we do fail at times, but I don't believe that we necessarily change our choice. We are just, when we're weak, we fail. But the moment God strengthens our hearts, what do we choose when we're strong? That is what I believe to be the true choice we've made. When we're weak, yes, we all fail at times, but I don't think that shows that we have changed our choice between life or death. Hmm. So we have two kingdoms, a kingdom of light and we have a kingdom of darkness. Uh, Maybe this would be a good time just to bring out the issue that we see in our world, Suzanne. We see a lot of people doing good Can we say, perhaps, that when we look at good being done in the world from unregenerated humanity, there is still good in this world? You and I have talked many times about this, that the good is coming from the wrong tree. It's coming from the tree of the mixture of good and evil. And I think that that's a valid point. Because people often will ask the question, well, how come there's so much good in the world? And I would say, because the world is controlled through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the mixture. So you're seeing the good part of the good-evil mixture. It is good, but it's also got the poison in it. And that's not the mixture we want. We want the pure tree of life, the Etzachayim, of the book of Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. We need the good from that tree. But people, they are being convinced that somehow everything we're seeing today is coming from God, and it's not. It's the tree of the wrong kingdom, if I would understand it correctly. Let's talk about white paint and black paint, right? Okay, okay. I would typically think of the tree of life as the can of white paint, Mm-hmm. and the tree of knowledge of good and evil as the can of black paint. But what's probably more realistic is that the tree of knowledge of good and evil is the can of gray paint. It's a mixture of the black and white. And we all have that, we get born um, with that mixture. We Some of us have a bit more black or a bit less black, but we're all shades of gray. And with God, even if you look at his creation story, it starts with no distinction between waters above, waters below. There's no distinction between light and dark. Everything is a mixture. Mm. And the moment he speaks his creation into this world, he brings clear distinction. And the gray or the erev, like we know at sunset, where there's a mixture or boker, there's a mixture of dark and light, He brings distinction between those two. Where there is no distinction, there is no clear choice. And that's one of the very important things that happens when um, God brings his truth into this chaos of gray, is that he brings clear boundaries. It's like the Henry Ford story, choose any color car as long as it's black, right? If there is only one option, there is no real choice. And if everything is gray, if everything is a mixture, just shades of gray, there is no distinction and no clear choice. So uh, that's one of the things that the Word of God brings light into, and it creates those boundaries again. 
So I don't know if next time we can discuss a bit more about boundaries and how important those boundaries are to bring distinction between these two choices. I think we should do that. We'll come back on the next program, Suzanne, and let's talk about distinctions and boundaries within choice. I think it's an important topic leading us into this whole subject of the kosher laws and why we're choosing what we're choosing. We'll talk about that, okay? Yeah, it seems like we're probably a bit long-winded here, but this is laying a foundation Mm -hmm. for when we later have to talk about food Mm -hmm. boundaries and distinctions there. So this is all laying a very important foundation, choice. For choice, we have to have distinction and boundaries, and then realizing there's two choices to make. So our, our choices are either life, or death, but it's all the same as it was in the Garden of Eden when uh, the Almighty gave Adam and Eve that opportunity to make choices. And so the rest is simply variety within each choice. Okay, so there's even variety in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, there is. And so the enemy still uses his uh, FOMO tactics, that is, Come on, come on now. You're hey, you're the fear of missing out. You don't want to miss out on what we got over here. This is great stuff. Come on, you know, just try it. Try it a little bit. Yeah, what? You mean you don't eat a salami pizza? You're missing out, surely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Defining the boundaries of a distinction within choice. And we'll take a look at that on our next program. Uh, Anything else you want to add before we close here for today? No, I hope everyone joins us again um, next time as we discuss these choices. And thanks for joining us today on Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and we'll come back on the next program and uh, take a look at the concept that in order to have choice, we need distinction and boundaries. This is the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio with Avi Ben Mordechai, cominghome.co.il. So if you have a comment or a question, send us an email address to questions at cominghome.co.il. Real Israel Talk Radio. Mm-hmm.